Okay, we'd like to welcome you back to our Current Event and Weekly Bible Study for March 1st, 2009. And this will be our third and final part regarding the, um, the subject of the, the true gospel, uh, biblical salvation, the good news of the gospel. And so, going further, if we read Matthew twenty twenty-eight, Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Okay, and again, we just end on the whole ransom part. Going further, Romans 5, 8 through 11 says, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. See, we're justified by the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. And that's how we're saved from wrath, through Him. Believing that, that's what we believe on. That's what the belief is in. Okay, that. Do you understand the difference here? Well, I said a prayer 20 years ago and I received Jesus. And you didn't even know what the gospel was. You didn't even understand the concepts of what we were talking. You understand why I'm doing this? I don't want anybody to go to hell. I love you enough to tell you the truth. I don't want anybody in my listening ears to go to hell. Nobody. In the name of Jesus Christ. I pray that anyone that is listening to this message gets saved in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit and His angelic host. I just pray to God that, that, that all those that are listening to this would, would get saved. So, it says we shall be saved from wrath through him, for if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Remember, we just looked at what reconciled meant. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Reconciled, to conciliate anew, to call back into union, into friendship. To restore friendship. That's what we're doing. That's what Jesus Christ does for us. Praise the Lord. We're justified by his blood. We're saved from wrath through him. When we were yet enemies with God, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. It's the only way. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. <clears throat> he atoned for our sins. He paid our sin debt. First uh, Corinthians one eighteen. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. Second uh, Corinthians five twenty one. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So Jesus Christ was made sin for us. And he knew no sin. Why? That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Through Jesus Christ. Galatians 3.13 Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. Being made a curse for us. 
For it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. And that's how they refer to the cross as. Okay? Which was wood. He was made a curse for us. He bore our sin debt on that cross. Uh, Ephesians 1.7 In whom we have redemption through his blood. We're redeemed. We're bought back through his blood. See, this is the gospel that I'm talking about here. This is what we're talking about. Is this what you're believing in? If it is, you're saved. Okay? It's not some complicated process that we have to go through. This is the simplicity of the gospel. I just want to make sure that everybody's on the same page. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he hath made him Jesus Christ to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So we are made righteous in God's eyes through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. You might ask yourself, why did Jesus have to shed his blood and die to pay our sin debt? Now this is something I added in. Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Why do you think they had all the sacrifices in the Old Testament? In the Levitical system, with all the animals, they had to sacrifice those innocent animals. They were innocent animals. Man, I'd hate to do that. Sacrificing little lambs and stuff? Oh, man, I'm sorry, I'd have a hard time with that. I'm not saying I'm Mr. Pansy, but I would have a hard, ugh, hard time with that. Well, he was the spotless lamb. That's how he's referred to, that was slain before the foundation of the world, to pay our sin debt. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. In other words, without Jesus shedding his blood and dying for you and me, there would be no pardon for our sin. This is the true gospel, what I'm talking about here. And some of you may have gotten bits and pieces of this, but you need to know the whole thing. You need to understand it and comprehend it. Therefore, and then you can believe it. But how can you believe unless you've heard? The Bible even talks about that. So, at that time, this is another Bible verse, uh, Ephesians 2, 12 through 16, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. We were far off from God before we were saved. But now we are made nigh, meaning we are brought near by the blood of Christ. That's how we get near to the Lord. That's how we get saved. For he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make of in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross. He's reconciled us to God in one body, how? How did he do it? 
by the cross, by what he did on the cross, dying for us, paying our sin debt, shedding his precious blood, having slain the enmity thereby. When it says having slain the enmity, enmity again means like war, an enemy. We're not at war with God anymore. Because of what Jesus Christ, a born-again believer, isn't at war. He's not an enemy of God anymore. Through the Lord Jesus Christ, because of what he did on the cross. Ephesians 5.2 And walk in love as Christ also loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering. He gave himself for us. For us filthy sinners. I'm sorry, but that's, that's how we all are. Prior to coming to the Lord, that's how we're, you know, in God's eyes. He hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Um, Colossians 1.14 In whom we have redemption through his blood. This is, we're redeemed. Our payment is paid through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There's no remission of sins without the shedding of blood. But Jesus Christ did it once and for all. When he said, it is finished on the cross, it was finished. We don't have to keep sacrificing bulls and goats. And But do we believe that? Do we believe it? Because a lot of people say, yeah, I believe it, and they go around living their lives in the back of their head doing good works, still trying to earn their way to heaven. Do they really believe it? Have they really entered into the rest that we referenced? It's a very dangerous thing. It's the difference between heaven and hell. Well, I'm doing this and I'm doing that. Yeah, I got saved, but but our, what, are you, what are you putting your belief in? What, what, is it your own works? You need to ask yourself that question. It's a very serious thing. Colossians 1, 20 through 22. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, and by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death. He reconciled us in the body of his flesh through death, through the shedding of his blood on the cross to pay our sin debt. And then it goes on to say, to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Why? Because we're cleansed by that blood. Though your sins be as crimson, they shall be as wool. Okay, He washes us whiter than snow through his blood. Okay, Now the Bible also talks about the washing of the water of the word. Okay, When we read the word of God, it's like we're spiritually cleansing ourselves you know, um, in that regard too. But that's kind of a, a little bit of a different subject. Um, if we go further, Hebrews 7.27 who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the people's. For he, meaning Jesus Christ, did this once when he offered up himself. See, we don't need the Levitical priesthood anymore. 
We don't need any of that. Jesus Christ did it once when he offered up himself and he said, it is finished. It's just a matter of, do you believe it? Do you believe it? I just, I'm just, I'm not saying if you were doing all these things I talked about, like teaching a Sunday school or whatever, I'm not saying they're bad things. It's just that, are you putting your faith in those works in order to save you? Going further, Hebrews 9.26, For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Yeah, let me go back and read that whole section. Hebrews 9, verse 25, Nor yet that he should offer himself often, this is reference to Jesus Christ, as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others. Okay, the, the blood of animals. Okay. Um, Jesus Christ doesn't have to off, keep continually offering himself. For then he must have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, once in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. He was the ultimate sacrifice on the cross. The spotless lamb. And it is appointed, and as it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this the judgment, we quoted that earlier, and that, that debunks the whole reincarnation thing. Verse 28, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. He was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him, he shall, him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. When it says unto them that look for him, shall he appear. They're having faith and they believe that he shall. They're believing. This all these boils down to faith and belief, really, is what we're talking about here. I just want to give you the right foundation in which to believe in. The biblical foundation. Now, look at this compared to what a Catholic does with the Eucharist. And through the process that the Catholic police, priests believe that they have, their little... Um, they believe they have this power known as transubstantiation where they actually can change the Catholic communion host and the wine into the literal body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is why when you walk into a Catholic church, Jesus Christ is still on the cross. He's not on the cross anymore. He's on the cross with a crown of thorns, thorns suffering. This this real pitiful looking Jesus on the cross. That's how they always want to portray him. They want to keep him on the cross. Why? Because it, it's, it's the antithesis of these verses that we just read. Um, where it talks about verse 26, For then he must have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now, once in the end of the world, he hath appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of many. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many unto them that look for him. He shall appear the second time without sin unto salvation. He doesn't have to enter into the holy place like the priest did with the blood of animals. He did it once and for all. But see, they continually, the Catholic religion wants to continually re-sacrifice the Lord Jesus Christ, to pay their sin debt. Because why? Because they have a system that is an ongoing system of paying your sins. 
by keeping the seven sacrifice, praying the rosary, going to confessional, doing this, doing that, you know, last rites, all these things, purgatory, indulgences now they've brought back. The blood of Jesus Christ in his sin debt that, that, well, he paid our sin debt and what the sacrifice he made on the cross, that's not enough for a Catholic. They have to continually try to re-sacrifice him. And that's why he's always portrayed on the cross. And that's why they believe through the doctrine, the false doctrine of transubstantiation, that they can literally, literally, literally change the Catholic communion host and the wine they have into the literal body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's being re-sacrificed continually in their eyes. That's sick. But that's what that's what that's all about. That doctrine. So, um, and again, the, the Hebrews 9.26, for then he must have often suffered, if, if it were true, if the Catholics were true, for then he must have also suffered since the foundation of the world. But they're not true. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Hebrews 10.10, 10, by the which we, we, by the which will we, are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. We're sanctified. We're made holy. We're made set apart by the offering of Jesus Christ once and for all. Hebrews 10.12 But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, one sacrifice, okay? One sacrifice for sins forever, set down on the right hand of God. But see, that way the Catholics can keep control of their people a lot better. Because you got to keep coming, you got to do all this rigmarole in order to, to keep continually paying your sin debt. That's how it's called control. That's what they want. Hebrews ten fourteen. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Them that are sanctified are the ones that have believed in the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're made holy and they're set apart. Now, let's read some more verses for all the people out there that may be involved in Hebrew roots that believe that we're saved by keeping the law. Okay, hopefully we've proven at this point you're not saved by keeping the law. Just from the verses we've looked at. Okay, but let's go, let's just for them, because this is such a gigantic problem within Christianity, I guess you'd say, the Judeation, the, the Judaizing of Christianity. And I plan on doing a study on this because it's a gigantic problem and it's only getting worse. Hebrews 12, 24, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. He's the mediator. And the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Hebrews 8, 6. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry. This is in reference to Jesus Christ. By how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. We're not under the law anymore. Okay? Was the law evil? No, no. Okay, the law pointed out sin in many ways. Now, there's different facets of the law as well. Okay, there were some ceremonial things that the law had in the Levitical priesthood that wouldn't apply today. Okay, now the moral things of the law, 
pointed out sin. So we have to distinguish that as well. We don't want to sin that grace may be abound. By the knowledge of the law, I knew sin. Okay? But are we saved by keeping the law? Because if you believe that, you're going straight to hell as well. Galatians 5.4 Christ is become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law. You're fallen from grace. You want to be justified by the law? You can live your life that way. You have that option. A lot of people are doing that now. I got to keep the Sabbath. I got to do this. I got to do that. Well, I, I tell you what, you keep the Sabbath, that's a tough one. You better not be picking up any sticks on Sabbath. I mean, how far do you take it? How far do you take it? Christ is become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law. If you, if you think you're made just by keeping the law, then Christ is of no effect unto you. You are fallen from grace. What graces there are they in reference to? Ephesians 2.8.9 For you are saved by grace through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I'm putting my faith in keeping the law. Fine. You have that as an option. You're going to go straight to hell. What are you putting your faith in? Remember, it's to them that believe on the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're the only ones that are saved. This is a matter of life and death. Eternal life and death. What we're talking about here. James 2.10, for whosoever shall keep up the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. So those that keep the law, they don't ever keep it perfect. Nobody ever has, ever, except Jesus Christ when he was here. But he is the mediator of a better covenant. It says it right now, of a new covenant. Romans 9.31 But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. They didn't attain, they may have followed after it, but they never attained it. They were trying to do it under their own power. It says they've not attained the law of righteousness. Galatians 2.21 I do not frustrate the grace of God. Remember, this is the grace. You're saved by grace, through faith, Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that not of yourselves is the gift of God. Not of, not of man, lest any, uh, not of works, lest any man should boast. So I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. That's, that's a strong statement. If righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead and in vain. That's not light words there. Galatians 3.21 is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. Now, so I'm giving you the opposite. I don't want to get say that the law is evil. Okay, but let's read. So, is then, and again, I've done whole studies on this. I'm just giving you some of the verses. I've got so many verses regarding this one particular subject. I mean, and again, I plan on doing a study on this, Lord willing, hopefully in the near future. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given, which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But there wasn't. There wasn't a law given that could give... Only the Lord Jesus Christ can give true life. 
to what he accomplished on the cross by paying our sin debt, shedding his blood. Uh, the verse I'm in reference to is coming up here. Uh, Philippians 3 9. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law. Having your own righteousness is of the law. Now, I'm telling you, the people that I have been around that get into this Hebrew root stuff, they think they're better than everyone else. So do a lot of Pentecostals. I pray in tongues. I do this. I do that. I'm better than you. I'm more spiritual than you. I keep the Sabbath. I do this. I do that. I'm better than you. And you're on your way to hell. Not according to the Bible. Not according to the Bible. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead and in vain. There's so many verses that they have to ignore in order to justify and do what they're doing. A big movement now is just to say Paul is a bad person. They refer to Paul as the usurper. He's bad. Or they use some perverted Bible. Well, I just use the, what is that, the Jerusalem Bible or whatever? It's a leavened Bible. Ultimately based on, you know, leavened um, Hebrew and Greek. And they start going by the Talmud. Or the Midrash. Sometimes they even get into the Kabbalah in these movements. I've done studies on this. Just key in, I don't know, Zionism. Or Hebrew roots. In my keyword search box. I haven't done enough on this. This is very dangerous. And I thought it rather telling when I was doing that study on the Antichrist that it said flat out that one of the Illuminati's goals, one of the their goals was the Judeation... I'm trying to say this word right. The Judaization. They're trying to Judaize Christianity. That was one of their main goals. Why? To get us away from the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and get us bound up back into the law. So you base your salvation on works. That's what it boils down to. It's like no other different. It's no different than any other religion that bases their, their salvation on works. None. And you know what happens? To these? They, they do. They get proud. Like I said, they get proud. I'm more spiritual than you. I do this and I do that. You're not even worthy to be in my presence. I'm not saying they get that bad, but some of them just about. This is another gospel. And the Bible says that they that bring another gospel, let him be a curse. It says it twice. I stay away from them. I do. Try to help them. But... They're some of the hardest people in the world to reach. The ones that are bound up in this stuff. Because you can't tell them a thing. doesn't matter how many Bible verses you show them. They'll have some way around it. If there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But there wasn't. Philippians 3.9 And be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. That's, that's the true gospel. Praise the Lord. It's simplistic. It's not complicated. Mine own righteousness, which is of the law. What does that imply? Pride. No, no, it's through faith of Christ. Believe. 
believe. Romans 10.4 For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. <laughs> I love this study. I mean, it's right here. And I could give a, way more verses than, than I'm giving. But for time's sake, you know... And again, I'm going to do more of a complete study on this, Lord willing, in the future. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Praise the Lord. Romans 3.22-31 even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ. Remember, the righteousness of God that you attain is only through faith in Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. Here we go again. Believe. Faith. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. He redeemed us. We're justified freely by His grace. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood. Now remember, we had just defined propitiation. Let me just read that again, just so we understand that. The act of appeasing wrath or conciliating the favor of an offended person. The atonement or atoning sacrifice offered to God to assuage His wrath and render Him propitious to sinners. Christ is the propitiation for the sins of men. He's our atoning sacrifice toward God. So, let me just read that part again. Uh, Whom God has set forth, Jesus Christ, to be a propitiation or atoning sacrifice, okay, through faith in His blood, Blood of Jesus Christ. Faith in His blood. To declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past. The remission. They're remitted. They're gone. They're remitted. Sins that are past. Through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say at this time, His righteousness. That He might be just. And the justifier of Him which believeth in Jesus. See, He's going to justify us. He's our justifier. The Bible talks about Jesus Christ being our heavenly advocate. It's like our heavenly lawyer. Okay? We can come boldly before the throne of grace to make our supplications known. He's the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Okay, where's this boasting? By what law? Of works? Nay, but the law of faith. Believe. Remember? The law of faith. For you're saved by faith, you know, grace through faith. So, again, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. How much more clear could it be? That's how we're justified. That's how we're made just before God. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith... Now, when they say circumcision, they mean the Jews. They'll justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision through faith. There's no difference. Okay? The Jews just don't get a jail, get out a free card pass like John Hagee teaches. They, you know, teach an ethnic salvation, believing that the Jews, just because they're the Jews, they get to go to heaven. Uh-uh. We're saved all the same way. 
Okay? By faith. Uh, then, then it says, do we make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. But this is the law of faith. Okay? That, that we're in reference to here. So, if we go further, uh, Hebrews 13.12, Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood. This is, he sanctifies us. He makes, he makes us holy and set apart through his own blood. Suffered without the gate. He suffered outside the gate at Golgotha. Okay? In Jerusalem. Um, 1 Peter 1, 2. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. For as much as you know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold. We were not bought back with corruptible things such as silver and gold. From your vain conversation received by the tradition from your fathers. But with the precious blood of Christ. That's how we're redeemed. That's how we're bought back. The precious blood of Christ as a lamb, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. This is the gospel. Okay, this is part of it. You, know, you understand what we're trying to give you the real full, full picture here today. So that hopefully there's no doubt about anything. First Peter 2.24 Who his own self bear our sins in his body on the tree. That we, being dead to sins, should live under righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. He bear our sins in his own body on the tree. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also hath suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Remember, he once suffered for our sins. He's not. He doesn't need to continually be re-sacrificed like the Catholics try to do. And the priest particularly. 1 John 2, 1-2 My little children, these things I write unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Remember I said, our advocate, okay, in heaven, like our... We have an advocate in heaven, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins. There's that propitiation again. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. If they will receive that gift, the free gift, he's the, he's the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Uh, 1 John 4, 9-10 through 10. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Hearing His love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Remember Romans 3.23 that we read previously tells us that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins through faith in his blood. Now, the Bible talks about in Revelation, you know, the end time saints say, regarding um, them overcoming Satan, it says they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimonies, and they loved their lives not unto the death. They weren't afraid to die. 
but they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word, words of their testimony. Well, the testimony is integrally tied into the blood of the Lamb, if you think about it. Because it's through faith in His blood that Jesus Christ becomes the propitiation or the atoning sacrifice for our sin debt. That's part, isn't that the main part of our testimony? That's how we get saved. Isn't that what the, you know, the testimony really is? If, if we give a testimony, how'd you get saved? When did you come, you know? So again, that's how you overcome the devil. Blood of Jesus Christ is integrally related to all this. Uh, going further, Revelation 1.5, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. That's the way it goes. Revelation 5.9, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain... This is, this is to Jesus, they're saying, this song. For thou wast slain... This is when he was slain on the cross. And hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Praise the Lord. It doesn't get any better than that. This is Isaiah 53. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. Now this is this is in reference regarding the G, uh, Jesus Christ before Jesus Christ ever walked the earth. Okay, who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Uh, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Jesus Christ, I mean, at the end, pretty much everybody had abandoned him. Almost. He was despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, and he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He paid our sin debt. Iniquity, sin. Okay? He paid our sin debt. He, paid, he laid that iniquity, our sin, on Jesus Christ. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is bought, brought as a lamb to the slaughter. Remember how they were asking him those questions and he answered them not? Okay, th- th- there's a lot of different verses that are confirmed in the New Testament just from this one passage alone. Um, let's see here. As a sheep before the shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. Not to say that Jesus was dumb, he just stood silent. Okay, He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my, of my people was he stricken. 
and he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence neither was any deceit in his mouth yet it pleased the lord to bruise him he hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. I mean, it says it over and over and over again that he's paying our sin debt, essentially here. Uh, he's made his soul an offering for sin. Um, for the transgression of the people, he was stricken. And then it says, he shall, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. This is the Lord, this is Father, the Father God looking on this situation he shall see the travail of his soul, Jesus Christ's soul, and he shall be satisfied. Because this is the propitiation for the sin debt. He's, he's satisfying our sin debt. He's, he's atoning for it. If we choose to believe and receive that free gift that he offers us. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. We're justified through the Lord Jesus Christ and his shed blood. We're made just. For he shall bear their iniquities. It says it again. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors. I mean, he had two thieves on both sides of him. Thieves, you know, well, a thief on the cross on one side. Um, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Uh, and again, this passage is in the Old Testament book of Isaiah, prophecy about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross and the means of atonement for our sins. That's the central theme. That's why we really wanted to read that. So remember, to get saved, you must be born again. The Bible says that you that when you repent toward God and put your faith in Jesus' Jesus's sacrifice on the cross as a full and complete payment for your sins, you will be spiritually born again. John 3, 3-8. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. 1 Peter 1.23 Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. 2 Corinthians, or and this is Galatians 6.15 For in Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus neither... Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. Okay, so again, if you're a a Jew or a Gentile, that doesn't matter regarding being in Christ, okay? Because we all have to get saved the same way. Uh, John 7.37, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, here we go again, with believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, capital S, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. The Comforter had not yet come yet. Okay, when he, when he said this thing. So let me read that verse again. But this he spake of the Spirit, meaning the, out of thy belly shall flow rivers, rivers of living water. But this he spake of the Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. Believing and receiving are essentially the same thing, okay, when we talk about these things. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, 
because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Ephesians 1.13, we're going to talk about that more in a second. Uh, in, whom, in whom, this is Jesus, ye also trusted. After that, ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. The Bible talks about the Holy Spirit sealing you with that Holy Spirit of promise. Ephesians 1.14 Which is the earnest of our inheritance unto the redemption of the purchased possession, under the praise and of His glory. Romans 8.16 The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. The Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit, our reborn spirit, that we are the children of God. These are, now we get into the, like, the evidences of salvation. And then we get later after salvation into the concept of overcoming. Now I've done a whole study on that. Today I'm just focusing on salvation. Okay? But you can just key in part of the word overcoming and that gets into like, okay, you're saved. Now, okay, what's next? So, not to say it's an exhaustive study on every single thing you could possibly encounter after you get saved, but there's a concept of overcoming in the Bible that I think is very important to understand. <clears throat> Going further, it says, The Holy Spirit that indwells a born-again believer is also referred to in the Bible as the Comforter. Okay, now prove this. John 14, 6. And I will pray the Father, this is when Jesus was still here, and I will pray the Father, and He shall give you another Comforter, that He may abide with you forever. Now, when Jesus Christ was with Him, He was their Comforter. But He's going to give them another, the Father's going to give them another Comforter, that He may abide with you forever. Well, Jesus said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. But He wasn't there in physical body anymore. What was He in reference to? The Comforter. John uh, 14, 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, which is another word for the Holy Spirit. Remember, when we get saved, Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I've said unto you. When, I ask, when people ask me about how, how do you know so many Bible verses and all this other stuff, I just, I quote him this verse. I don't want to even take credit for it. Not to say that, that, that I've attained or whatever, but I'm, I don't even want to take credit for anything. I don't want to, no, no flesh will glory in his presence. And the Holy Ghost whom the Father will send you in my name, he shall teach you all things. And bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I've said unto you. And, and again, you have to have faith to believe that. John 15, 26. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. Holy Spirit testifies of Jesus Christ. John 16, 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. Jesus said that. He said it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. That was the order. It just had to happen there. So, if the Son, therefore... Oh, this is John eight thirty six. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. 
then Romans 6, 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth ye should not serve sin. Romans 6, 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. But again, we don't sin that grace may abound as well. Uh, Romans 6.22 But now, being made free from sin and become the servants of God, ye have fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. Now this does not mean that a Christian will never sin. It simply means that we will strive against sin and we will be able to overcome temptation through Christ because as a born-again Christian washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, um, he is no longer bondage to sin with no way to escape. Okay, so let's just go though. Then let's let's also read First um, John one seven through ten because again it's very important to have biblical balance regarding these types of issues. First John one seven through ten. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. Now this is in reference to a born again believer. I mean, is this a reference to somebody unsaved? But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Well, the blood of Jesus Christ does not cleanse an unsaved person unless they believe it. You understand, unless they believe the gospel. The only, the only way the blood of Jesus Christ is going to cleanse us from sin is if we believe the gospel. This is in reference, I say that because this is in reference to somebody, obviously, people that are, that are saved. Okay? We have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Then, verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You're still going to battle the flesh to the day you die. Okay? It doesn't mean that there shouldn't be a big change that occurs. Behold, all things are old things are passing away, all things are become new, you're a new creature in Christ, okay? But does that mean we walk around in sinless perfection? If we confess our sins, I mean, it's a foregone conclusion here. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. That's a really strong statement. We say we have no sin. That's not something, you know, that the scriptures reflect highly upon when you say that. So, I just wanted to temper that. Last statement. So now we can answer your question. Where will I go when I die? There are only two possibilities. The Bible says that once you are saved, you also receive the gift of eternal life. This means that you will go to heaven when you die. You might have asked, can a saved person die and go to hell? Can a saved person die and go to hell? The Bible answer to that question is no, they cannot. Now again, see my teaching on overcoming. Because then we, we, we want to look also at the fruit, you know? I mean, if somebody says they're saved and they're living like the devil and there's no chastisement of God on their life whatsoever and they have no conscience of sin, they're living like the devil, they have no conscience of sin, but bless God, they're a born-again believer. 
the Bible says, Whom the Lord loveth, he also chasteneth. And if you be without chastisement, then you're bastards. So if you're living like the devil, and you're getting away with it, and there's no chastisement of God on you, and there's no conviction of sin, and there's no fruit of the Spirit, or, or you know, you have to really question, is that person saved? So again, there's evidences of, of these things that, that we can look at, and the concept of, um, of overcoming. And um, so anyway, that's a whole other subject that I've already got into. So, uh, Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. John 6.47. So again, with a lot of these verses that I've quoted, are there verses that undo them? No, because the word of God doesn't contradict itself. Going further... John, 1 John 5, 11 through 13. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son hath not life. The Son being Jesus Christ. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. Now let me read that last verse again. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. Okay, so I'm just going to repeat that. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. It says that ye may know that you have eternal life. And that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. And it always comes down to belief, faith. And that's how we're saved. So, again, that ye may know. What does that imply? Faith. That ye have eternal life. That implies faith. That ye may believe. It implies faith. So, what happens if you do not get saved? Do all lost, unsaved people go to hell? Where will the unsaved go when they die? The Bible tells us what happens to those who refuse to repent and put their faith in Jesus Christ to save them. No one is excluded. The Bible says that you will be sentenced to an eternity in hell. The Bible says in Mark 9.46, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. That's a picture of hell. The worm dies not. There's worms all over you, and they never die. And the fire is not quenched. Being on fire for eternity. Can you imagine that? That's scary stuff. 2 Thessalonians 1.8 In the flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And again, the gospel is how we get saved. The gospel is the good news, which is what we just went over. All those verses. The essence of the gospel through Jesus Christ. Um... God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. The Bible says that. He came here to save us from our sin and condemnation before God. But if you refuse his offer of free salvation, then you must pay for your sins in hell. I pray even now at this very moment, you will believe the true gospel of Jesus Christ. That all would come to repentance in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, if you're still confused or you're still unsure... Uh, there's a link that I give at the very bottom of this that goes even more in depth. And we went pretty far in depth today. Three-part study, almost three hours. 
of well, probably yeah, about three hours. Um, so it's the belief, okay? That is the big thing in, in a faith and belief, and hopefully we've driven that point home today. Uh, and you can, you can use this teaching like a track. You can send this to other people. Uh, unfortunately, I'm really seeing that a lot of the tracks are lacking. You know, a, a lot of these essential... They're not emphasizing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ enough. They're, they're, they're falling short in many ways. They're, they're getting us to put our trust um, not... They're getting us to put our trust in some work that we do. And a lot of times the people don't even truly know what the gospel means, and yet they say they're getting saved. So hopefully we've clarified that point today. And um, I'll go ahead and close this out in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time that you've given us. And we praise you, Lord God, for your goodness and your mercy. I pray, God, that anyone that has listened to this teaching today, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, that, that Lord God, you'd save their souls. I, I just... There's no more important thing than that, Lord God. There's no more important decision. I humbly come before you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I pray to God you'd save their souls. I pray to God your fear would be upon these that are not saved, even upon the body of Christ, and that fear would drive us also to repentance to a saving faith. Lord God, that, that if there's any out there that are blind, that you give them eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to receive, the true gospel message that is simplistic, it's not hard, it's not easy. We're saved by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. I just pray, God, that, that you save multitudes for your glory. I pray you bless my listeners. We praise you. I pray you forgive us for any and all sins we've committed in any way, shape, or form. That the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart will be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer, that you cleanse us from presumptuous sins and secret faults that they would not have dominion over us. As we forgive those who have sinned against us. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.